Alright guys, welcome back to another Tundra Cast episode. This is episode number 49. Uh, today we got a very special guest. Uh, we've got Michael Russo joining us. Uh, he's the, of course, the athletic writer for the Minnesota Wild. Uh, if you guys, uh, we're going to cut right to the uh, interview now. Uh, if you guys enjoy the video, please leave a like and comment and obviously subscribe to continue to support us. Well, Michael, it's an honor having you on. Um, you are one of the biggest writers in all of hockey Twitter. Um, so to uh Kind of take it a step back and start off. How did you get started at the Athletic? Uh, at the Athletic, uh, so I was at the Star Tribune for twelve years, um, and the Athletic started in what uh, 2016, 2015, 2016. and um, they had reached out to me like a year before I actually went there. And uh, to be blunt, I didn't, I had never heard of them. I didn't know what they were. Um, <laughs> I actually, I mean, I feel bad saying this, but I actually got a kick out of, um, you know, one of my colleagues now uh, that's a great hockey writer, Scott Powers, who you probably know well, Jimmy, being in Chicago. He reached out to me. And, yeah, he reached out to me and uh, said, hey, these guys at The Athletic would like to talk to you about a job. And I'm like, well, why would I ever leave the Star Tribune? It's a great newspaper, great job, great, great team I'm covering. You're a great, great, you know. You're, you're in a, a hockey market where obviously uh, fans read you and love the strip and it's been around 100 years. So why would I ever go to a startup? And then a year later, I quit my job at the Star Tribune and went to the Athletic. So, <laughs> um, um, you know, these guys, Adam and Alex, that started the Athletic, um, uh, they brought me out to San Francisco. I met with them and they absolutely sold me on what they wanted to do. And I think if you're a hockey fan. Um, there's no better place to read about hockey than the athletic. Uh, you know, you, we cover every team. We, we uh, are able to, you know, let stories breathe, you no know, deadline constraints and tell awesome, awesome stories. And, and I, I think after, you know, I was at, I worked at the Sun Sentinel forever in South Florida. Then I came up here to the Star Tribune. And I just think the newspaper industry was starting to, you know, really, it wasn't that it was starting to weigh on me. I just think I needed something different and a new challenge. And this certainly was that. I, I still love the Star Tribune. I love the newspaper industry. Um, but this was a huge, um, you know, opportunity for me that I just couldn't pass up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, during the off season, there were reports about uh, Kirill Kaprizov uh, potentially going back to Russia. Uh, were those any accurate? And how did those talks progress once the rumors came out? Uh, no, I, I just think it was, you know, something that that was, you know, from his side probably floated to put a little pressure on the Wild. Um, I don't think there was any, uh, you know, Kirill Kaprizov wants to be an NHLer, and especially after. You know, last season, seeing how well he could function in the NHL, I think that there was no doubt that he wanted to come back. He wasn't going to go back and play the KHL for a fraction of the money. Um, so I just think a lot of that was to put, you know, pressure point on the wild to get negotiations going. And, and um, you know, uh, what, whether it worked or not, who knows? Um, but clearly, um, you know, he, he got his deal done and has come back this year and it's just been absolutely awesome. So, um, you know, especially after a real a real um, slow start to the season. Um, he's just been great lately, and hopefully the injury that he just suffered uh, recently, um, you know, won't, won't be something that keeps him out long-term. Were you a bit surprised he got five years and $9 million? Um, I, I thought the Wild wanted to give him eight years at $9 million, So, you know, <laughs> I think, um, you know, it, it, for, for somebody that had as few games played in the NHL, uh, I was surprised that it got to that point. Um, but the reality is, is that they had to get him done. It's the first real superstar they've had in franchise history. You know, they have a couple of really good quality young guys on their, uh, you know, coming up in their prospect pool. They've got a couple great talents and guys like Kevin Fiala. Um, but Kirill Kaprizov is, is the real deal, and they had to get him done. And, and clearly, uh, you know, it kept both them them happy. They got him locked up for longer than the two or three years that would have made him a free agent right away. And, and he also gets to keep, 
his opportunities open to see if he wants to in five years explore somewhere else or resign here. Right. Um, what are some areas you think the Wild can improve on come to trade deadline day? Um, I think uh, it's been the same answer that I would have given 20 years ago and same answer I would have given 10 and 5, and that's the reality is, is that they need a center. Um, I think that this team is a center away from being a true contender when they're healthy. Uh, you know, you, you, you just know that at the end of the day, if the Wild are going to want to do what they uh, want to do, which is go and win a cup, you're going to have to go through teams like Colorado, th- teams like Vegas. Colorado is really hitting its stride right now. Um, you know, Kemper's on fire, McKinnon's on fire, Ranton and Landeskog. I mean, that, that team's awesome. And then, you know, Vegas is going to get Jack Eichel back. So, you know, to me, the Wild could be right there with these teams. But if you're going to go through them, you're going to probably need to improve um, up the middle. And, and we'll see if they're able to get it done. Speaking of Eichel, uh, more, I, we know Minnesota was in on him. Do you know what they were offering? Um, you know, I don't think that they were ever completely in on him. I, I think they would have been willing to give up, um, you know, pieces off their roster because the reality is is that they couldn't afford Eichel long term unless it was it was significant players off their roster. You know, probably guys like Kevin Fiala and Matt Dumbo, just because um, it, the math adds up, and the and the the fact is the Wild don't have a lot of cap space in the upcoming years here, so. Um, I think that from Buffalo's perspective, they wanted all futures from the Wild, uh, multiple first-round picks, multiple top prospects, and I just think that was something that, one, Bill Guerin couldn't stomach, um, but two, Bill, and Bill Guerin couldn't afford. Um, you just couldn't add 10, Jack Eichel's $10 million salary without giving up pretty much you know 8 or $9 million in salary back. So yeah. it just never worked out. Last night's game against Washington, Kevin Fiala was bench mid-game. What will happen with him? Um, he took three penalties in a span of four minutes and 27 seconds. And uh, Dean Evason and, and him have an interesting uh, relationship dating back to their days with Milwaukee. I think a lot of times Dean treats um, Kevin like almost like a father would treat his kid that he's coaching in, in a youth game, right? I think he sees a lot of his faults and very few of other people's faults. And it just feels like um, sometimes Kevin deals with a different set of rules. And But last night he took three penalties in um, a four minute and 27 span, he sat him down. What made it a real story yesterday is he sat him down um, knowing that he was without nine other players on the roster and yet he was still willing to do it. But I think Kevin really showed his maturity last night by, by um, you know, rooting the guys on, cheering the guys on, and then having a, a frank conversation with Dean Everson in the middle of the third period and basically telling him um, that, that, look, I know that he, that I messed up and, and, um, but regardless if you play me again, I'm going to support these guys. And I think that meant a lot to Dean. He put him out there and then Kevin Fiala absolutely, um, you know, paid his coach back for the trust by, by, you know, playing hard. Like he always, I mean, Kevin Fiala always plays hard and he's always skilled, skilled. Um, but you know, in the final shift of the third period, he, he wins, uh, you know, he goes in there, digs a puck out after a faceoff, and Zuccarello ties the game up and sends it to overtime. And then, obviously, in overtime, um, the Wilds weren't able to secure that extra point. But then in the shootout, Kevin scored the game, deciding goal with just brilliant moves. So, um, you know, it was really, uh, uh, you know, I- I- impressive uh, response from Kevin Fiala last night when uh, all eyes were on him. What's Cam Talbot's future looking like in Minnesota? Do you think they're willing to keep him, or is he going to maybe – uh, be end up uh, leaving through free agency. Well, um, he still has a year left on his deal after this one, so yeah. I think that he'll definitely be back next year. And I think that he's a sort of a bridge. Now, maybe Capo Kakinen is that guy that that um, that winds up 
um, you know, uh, supplanting him, and or he just buys time for Jesper Wallstadt, their first one of their for two first round picks last year, who's just having a marvelous season in Sweden and looked like he was going to have a great World Junior Championship until it was postponed because of COVID. Um, uh, you know, they're going to try to sign uh, Jesper probably after his season in Lolia and bring him over here at a minimum to play in Iowa next year. And so Cam sort of is that perfect bridge to get them there. So Judd Brackett was brought in 2020 as director of amateur scouting. How much of an influence has he had in these last two drafts? He's, been a he's uh, yeah, I mean, right now, Jimmy, it looks like like he's uh, he's hit a lot of home runs. I mean, they've, they've uh, you know, the one thing that Bill Guerin has tried to do is give him a lot of bullets in the chamber and not trade away draft picks and things like that. And then when you have a good talent evaluator like Judd Brackett and a, and a really quality scouting staff that he has either inherited or put together, um, you know, then you could go and, and the more picks you have, the more likely that you're going to hit on some of these picks. And so far, it certainly looks like he's done. Looks like the Wild had a really good first two drafts under Judd Brackett after a really good first two uh, drafts under Paul Fenton before he was let go. And, and now a team that for many, many years, um, one hasn't picked at the top of the draft like your Blackhawks have. Um, but the other reason is is like they are a team that has yeah. traded away a lot of draft picks. And you know because of that, they didn't have a lot of prospects. Now all of a sudden... They've really resisted trading a lot of their picks uh, the last couple of years, so they have a lot of kids in the pipeline. And I think that now uh, gives Bill Guerin the ability to e- either, you know, this summer feel like he could trade a first round, or not this summer, on this trade deadline, maybe trade one of his first round picks, trade a prospect, and try to um, go buying that way, where something maybe the last couple of years Bill Guerin and Paul Fenton resisted to do because they wanted to build up the pipeline here in Minnesota. Sorry. Yo. That I'm sorry. Um, that actually ties into the next question here. Um, I mean, you know, Matthew Boldy, Jesper Wallstead, Carson Lambos, Jack McBain, Ryan O'Rourke, Kalen Addison, Merrick Kuzinidov. Like, there's so many good prospects here. Marco Rossi. So, you know, if the Wild need a center, could they, you know, target a guy like Tomas Hurdle and maybe, you know, use one of those guys in the trade along with Kevin Fiala? That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if. Uh, you know, my gut says that he would want to trade Fiala at the draft because I think if you go into the playoffs, you want to, unless you're trading for a guy with term, I don't know if you're going to trade Kevin Fiala right now um, because, uh, you know, he's somebody that in the playoffs could maybe potentially, um, you know, really get this team going. He's showed it two years ago in the bubble that he could, he could be a playoff player. Last year in the playoffs, he had an ample amount of scoring chances. So I think that Bill Guerin would love to keep him on the team if he can. But if you're going to go and get a rental like Hurdle or a Giroux, I think you're 100% going to have to trade a first-round pick in one of those prospects. And I think that because you have so many prospects in the pipeline, it gives Bill Guerin a little more freedom to potentially make that hard decision. I think from a wild fan perspective, it would be really, really tough to lose one of the top, top, top prospects in a trade for a rental. But clearly, um, this is the year to do it just because of all the tight cap situation that the Wild have coming up here in the next couple of years because of the Parisian suitor buyout. So um, to me, if you're going to go out buying, this is the off- this is the summer to – Excuse me, this is the trade line to go and do that. So, Michael, you are involved with the Wild as much as anybody in terms of being around the team and watching them, you know, uh, keeping track of them. Uh, Ryan Hartman and Marcus Foligno are having incredible seasons, and to the outside um, eye, um, it's a bit surprising. But can you say to someone who's been around all this, is this something that's maybe a little more expected um, to you and Wild fans than uh, maybe other people? I, I expected them to both have really good years because I knew they were going to get an incredible amount of opportunity. 
But I never thought that Ryan Hartman ha- would have a year like this. I mean, you know, they didn't start him on that line. I'll second that, yeah, yeah. Um, they didn't start him on that line with Kaprizov and Zuccarello, but he's got in there and he's fit like a glove. Last night, he played 27 minutes last night. Uh, yeah. Now, a lot of the reasons why they did that is they don't play again until Friday. So, so Dean Evison clearly bulked up, um, you know, overextended a lot of his guys to get those two points and, and knowing that they would have a week really to, to – to, to refresh for the game against Anaheim. The Wild aren't practicing today or Monday. Um, so that, that'll give them an opportunity to really prep for the games coming up here because they have a lot of games against tough opponents like Anaheim, Colorado, and your Blackhawks. Um, but tough, you know, both of them have been really good. I mean, you know, 15 goals for Hartman, ton of assists, looks great next to um, next to uh, Kaprizov. I mean, the one thing that Hartman does is that sort of cliched go-to-the-net um bring defenders with them and open up space for guys like Zuccarello and Kaprizov. Uh, you know, he knows where he needs to go and he goes there, but he also, you know, he was a first round pick for a reason and he's got some skill there. From Felino's standpoint, this is becoming a lot of ways his locker room with Jared Spurgeon and Matt Dumba. Um, you know, Felino has just such an energy about him. He's such a leader in that locker room, so respected in that locker room. And not only has he found his voice in that locker room, but he's clearly found his game on the ice where he is just one of the most impactful players that the Wild have in their lineup. And, um, you know, in a lot of reasons, a lot of ways, I think it was good that the Wild didn't get Nick Felino this year. I think if Nick came here and struggled or didn't get a lot of ice time, that would have put a lot of added pressure on Marcus to watch his brother um, you know, maybe get some scrutiny in the public and things like that. So I think it probably actually worked out better as disappointed as the Wild were at the time to lose out on Nick Foligno to the Boston Bruins. I think it probably, uh, you know, helped both of them out. Um, and and um, in a lot of ways is one big reason why probably Marcus is playing well this year, if that makes any sense. Is, oh, is, I don't sure. think, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that he has to deal. I remember when Miko Koivu was here as the captain and, and Saku Koivu, the Wild pursued as a free agent. Um, Saku chose Anaheim because for, for, or chose to resign in Anaheim for that very, very reason, because he didn't want to put a lot of stress on Miko and one, infiltrate his locker room, but two, um, you know, put stress on him that if all of a sudden Saku's game fell apart late in his career, that, that all of a sudden Miko would have to watch him get scrutiny from the fans, from the media and things like that. And it probably worked out um, as disappointed as Marcus was at the time that Nick chose the Bruins. I think it probably was the smartest decision for Nick and Marcus at the time. Were the sure. Wild offering the same contract as the Bruins, or were they offering a bit more money? Because uh, they were, they were offering less money and less term, and and uh, so you know, I mean, one, it was a business decision from from Nick Foligno, and two, I just think that there was some heartstrings there because of uh, Nick's daughter um, years ago had a heart condition and had an operation at the Children's Hospital there, and I think that it just you know meant a lot what that hospital did for their family, and I think that was one big reason to be close to that place, right. The Wild recently extended Deeb Evans' contract for three years. Whatever you know knows from his coaching style that has turned around the ship in Minnesota from the Bruce Boudreaux days and the Mike Yo days. Yeah, I mean, he's a hard, hard-nosed guy. I mean, uh, you know, he is somebody – you know, I think Bill Guerin said it really well is that he's got passion, but he's got compassion. And that's kind of Dean. I mean, he is a guy on the bench. I mean, when they win a big game or score a big goal, if you're in the vicinity, he's liable to just punch you right in the face. And in a good way, like he, he is somebody that like people try to, you know, he'll grab you by the neck and I mean, he is, I would not want to go toe to toe with that guy. And I'm sure there's been plenty of times that he's wanted to go toe to toe with me. Um, he is one strong cat and uh, he gets fired up and it, he's in a lot of ways, the way that he played the game as a player. Um, is the way that he coaches. And so um, he's pushed a lot of the right buttons here. Um, you know, I will be the first to admit that when they replaced him with Bruce Boudreaux, 
Um, replaced uh, Bruce Boudreaux with him. I just filled, figured he was a placeholder uh, to eventually go out and have a full coaching search. And then going into the bubble in the middle of a pandemic, it made sense when Bill Guerin shed the interim tag off of him because he really only gave him an extra year in a very odd time. And so this way it would be kind of a tryout for Dean Evason and give Bill Guerin time to maybe really scour the landscape, learn more about his coach and decide if he wanted to conduct a, a full uh, coaching search. And what do you know, um, Dean up until the time that, that uh, he was extended, was coaching one of the best teams in the Western Conference and um, and earned that contract. And to show you what type of class act Dean is, he didn't want that contract announced until his assistants were taken care of as well. So the entire coaching staff is back, um, coming up uh, here for the foreseeable future. So yeah. it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Who do you think? Uh, one player. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Do you want... Just one thing. Um, one player struggling under um, uh, Dean Evison is Jordan Greenway. And, um, I mean, he kind of makes a bit too much money for a bomb six forward. So, similar to Fiala, do you think he could be, you know, a trade target soon? Yeah, I do think so. I, I just think that the Wild don't have a lot of cap space. As much as they love um, I love, love Jordan Greenway in a lot of ways, um, the reality is they have so many similar type of players down in, the, in, the, in Iowa that also could probably add more offensively than Jordan does. So, like, Matt Boldy, for instance, is somebody that's come here in the last couple games, played really well. He's somebody that's got a long future here. If you put him on a line next year with Erickson Eck and Felino, they probably don't miss a beat and maybe get a little more offensively where maybe Jordan is a little harder and things like that. So I do think that Jordan probably, in a lot of ways, to Fiala, um, probably in in sort of the wrapping up stage of his wild career and will be used as a trade, talk, it's a trade target. Uh, trade bait at some point. Yeah. Who do you think Minnesota's biggest threats are in the Central this year? Well, I mean Colorado clearly. Yeah. You know, I mean Colorado is just they are on fire right now. I watched uh, their highlights of last night's game and the way they came back on Toronto and you got Kale McCarr who's just out of his mind good. Um, Byron playing great. Kemper winning games every single night. Um, obviously McKinnon Rant and Landis Scott Kadri. I mean that that is a good team. Joe Sack has done a great job really expanding the depth on that team and then really you know. That the one reason why they really struggled here in the last couple of years is goaltending and defense. And now you look at a blue line that's got Devon Taves and um, and and Sam Girard, who's just awesome. And obviously uh, Byram and and um, and Cal uh, McCarr. I mean, it's just a well balanced team right now. They're clearly the team to beat. Do you um, see this Minnesota Minnesota team as a Stanley Cup finalist? I mean, you know, as I said, you're going to have to go through Colorado and, and Vegas if you're going to get to where you want to go. So to me, they're a center away, as we've talked about. Um, I do think they've got – there's something special brewing with this team. They've got a ton of depth. Um, you know, when they were healthy, they were absolutely rolling and steamrolling teams. Um, but, again, you know, they until you're beating Vegas and Colorado, you're not getting to where you want to go. And Colorado's had their number the last couple of years, especially in Denver. And up until – um, this season, in the regular season, uh, the Wild usually play Vegas unbelievably. This year, Vegas, in, uh, in two second of back-to-backs, uh, beat the Wild both times and obviously had the seven-game win last year in the playoffs. So, um, you know, they are a contender in this conference, no doubt, but you're still going to have to go through those two teams who probably have much more pedigree and more talent than they do. So the Wild would have to win on depth, and maybe they could go out and get that center that we're talking about that can help push them over the top. All right, so uh, here, with the Wilds' cap concerns already only getting worse next season, do you think this is the year to go all in? 
Yeah, I do. I, I think that, you know, as we've talked about, I mean, you've got uh, a ton of prospects, a ton of picks, and, you know, as, as Shiden said, I mean, like, this is a this is the year to maybe go out and get that rental player. You know, they, they were interested in JT Miller who had churn up on his deal. It doesn't look like they're going to trade JT Miller now. So really there aren't a couple, there aren't too many centers out there that could come in here and fill a role right now that are in the last year of their deal, other than guys like Giroux and hurdle. So if you're going to go and pursue them, it's going to cost you a first and probably a prospect at a minimum. And um, I do think because of the amount of um, added pieces that they've added to the pipeline here the last couple of years, that this would be the year to go out and do it. Because in the next two and three and four years, when the real um, pain of the Parisian suitor buyouts hit their cap situation in a league right now where the cap will not go, might not go up because of the damage being done again by COVID and all these postponed games and, you know, not enough revenue up in Canada and things like that. Um, you know, really, they're going to have to depend on a lot of entry-level guys here in years two, three, and four, the buyout situation. So um, I do think that this is the year to, to get it done. What was the decision to buy out um, Suter and Parisi, knowing that the that years three and four, you basically save no cap space? Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, I think it was a chance to make a clean break from both of them. I mean, look, Parisi, um, you know, really had a tough time last year, both physically and mentally on this team, just being uh, getting fourth line minutes, healthy scratched. Uh, this is a proud hockey player that needed a fresh start and Bill Guerin wanted to give him that fresh start. So he did, made the decision to buy him out and we made the decision to buy him out. He just figured it's time to make a clean break from Ryan Suter as well. It worked out for Ryan Suter because he gets now the $6.7 million in buyout money from the wild, but he also signs um, an extra $16 million that prep he would not have gotten. So uh, financially, it definitely helped out uh, Ryan Suter as much as it stung him at the time. Yeah. And do you think Bill Guerin's a top GM in this league? And what, in what areas in his management skills do you think he can improve on? I do. I mean, I think that he makes bold, bold moves. And, uh, you know, I love it as GM, uh, as, a, as a beat writer, because you just never know what you're going to have to write on a daily basis. Um, he's got his own convictions. Sometimes it does frustrate the fans that he maybe doesn't give a little more rope to some of these young prospects and opportunity. But he really believes in sort of the Lou Lamorello and David Poyle way of development, that you be patient with guys, put them in the minors and, and let them uh, mature down there and then give them a taste, send them back. I think that we're going to see that today with guys like Marco Rossi probably sent back to Iowa and things like that. He gets his two games. He learns how, you know, what he needs to work on. And I think it'll help him only in the future. So, um, you know, I think that those are the type of things that, um, that could help him. I think at times, you know, what he could probably improve on is I think he gets a little stubborn at times, um, you know, and, and, you know, all GMs act, um, you know, emotionally and things like that. But that's what made Bill Guerin a great player and what's going to make him a really good GM. Yeah. And just on the topic of COVID for a sec, um, what was it like just when the news broke that day when the NHL was going to be postponed, you know, the NBA was postponing games? Like, what yeah. was that like? Was it was it crazy? Like, were there people texting you about it? Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely stunning. Um, I remember two days before I was doing a podcast in Anaheim that I would like to spike off our site because I remember saying on that podcast, that like, oh, they're never going to shut down the season. There's no way they'd ever play in front of fans with no fans in the building and holy crap, did the world change three days later? And <laughs> yeah. it was unbelievable. Like I, I, I recently actually went back and listened to my words on that podcast. And I wish, I wish there was a way that I knew how to delete it off the internet. Because it just was embarrassed. So. Right. Embarrassing. Uh, um, it was, it was just absolutely stunning. You know, I mean, it really, really was, uh, you know, um, I think all of us have lived through this really tough world. Um, it seems to be happening again. I think we're learning a little more how to live with this 
uh, virus in the world because if we're not, if we don't learn how to live with it, uh, we're, we're going to be stuck in neutral for the rest of our lives because I don't see, see this thing falling off the planet anytime soon. So um, it's tough. I mean, you know, trust me, I would never, I would, as a beat writer, I want to write about hockey. I don't want to write about COVID. Um, you know, yesterday, the Wilder without three players from their lineups, um, you know, you shade in as a Oilers fan, know what's going on right now, yeah. what it, the way it's doing to the Oilers lineup. Um, it's done it to your, you know, Jimmy and Jake's Blackhawks and all that. Uh, stuff. I don't know who Nick roots for Pittsburgh. in London, Ontario. No, there you go. There you go. It's definitely, <laughs> it affected. This, hey, this was all Pittsburgh's fault, right? They in uh, yeah. Yeah, they had the, <laughs> the entire the entire uh, training staff, I think, had COVID and in, in, uh, Pittsburgh had like two outbreaks this year. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, I mean, the whole thing, like I would give anything and, and fans the same way. I mean, we're all in COVID fatigue. I'm sure every fan would love to read an article that doesn't mention the words COVID-19. And I bet you if I did a search right now, I've probably written the word a thousand times in the last two years. So, I mean, it, it does. It stinks. It was shocking that they um, that you could that 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 you could shut down two leagues. And then to, and then the bubble was even more shocking. Right. I mean, to have hockey played with no fans in Canada. And then you're covering games virtually and all that. Uh, COVID's changed the way that we do this job. Um, you know, I, I could give anything to never be on a Zoom again for the rest of my life. Luckily, the Wild um, really has done a great job. I mean, their PR staff is just awesome. Um, a lot of teams, half the teams in this league right now are going back to all virtual pressers and things like that. The Wild still allow us one-on-one -on -one time with players, you know, as long as we're masked up. And, and uh, last night was the first time that we were 12 feet from the players in a press conference as opposed to, say, six feet, which I appreciated yesterday because we got Alex Kaligoski in the morning and then he tested positive right after. And I was like, oh, boy. Ooh. Thank God we were 12 feet away and not right in his uh, face like we usually were. Right. So. Um, and, yeah, that's all the questions we have uh, today, Michael. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, thanks for thank you for coming on. Well, thank you guys for watching this interview with Michael Russo in this edition of the Tundracast. Um, we're gonna we're gonna make a lot more content within the next couple of months. So just uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. And uh, yeah, thanks for watching. We'll see you guys next time.